Welcome to the Platform Journey, where we explore what it takes to build a successful software platform company and get the ecosystem flywheel going. We will interview seasoned innovators who have traveled this road before and can help navigate the way and share their lessons. Well, welcome everybody to today's edition of the Platform Journey podcast. And today, probably one of my favorite people, a great friend, former colleague, I'll ask him to introduce himself, but it's Mike Rosenbaum. And Mike and I have known each other for a long time. And it's probably one of the premier experts on platforms and platform strategies anywhere in the world. Mike, welcome. Hey, thanks, Avanish. I don't know about that. I appreciate the opportunity, I guess, to talk to you about this because uh, it's certainly something I'm passionate about. I had the opportunity to work with you actually at Salesforce, where I worked for 14 years from about 2005 up to whatever that is, you know, a few years ago. While I was there, I had an opportunity to work with our App Exchange marketplace and the partner ecosystem, and then also the the platform business unit at Salesforce through a whole bunch of formative years, I'd say. Learned quite a lot, I guess, about platforms and ecosystems and all that. And then uh, as of about, I guess, almost three years ago, I joined Guidewire, where I'm the CEO now and have had an opportunity to take almost everything that I learned at Salesforce about cloud computing and cloud systems and platforms and and apply it here at Guidewire and to the insurance industry. Uh, So anyways, great to be here. And really, like I said, it's a passionate passion of mine, I guess, is platform business models and platforms. Yeah, no, I think you and I are in the same similar mindset there, right? It's a, it's part of a really new major trend. A lot of companies are thinking about their platform strategy, their ecosystem strategy, and often those two go together. Why don't we roll time back a little bit, Mike. Again, you you had a front seat, you and I did, but today it's it's about hearing your experiences and kind of your lessons learned, right? The audience here really is folks who are thinking about this sometimes for the first time. Others may be thinking about this from a kind of a new strategy perspective or expansion. Let's roll the clock back a little bit and go back to those late 2000s, early 2000s. And talk a bit about, you know, how did you see from your vantage point, the platform strategy for Salesforce? How did that come about? What were some of the the decision points? How did you see that evolving? Yeah, sure. If I think back, so I had an opportunity, I worked at Salesforce before being involved directly in the, the platform and the app exchange. And I was actually, think of it as doing some implementations of Salesforce for Salesforce. So we were working on a billing system and an order management system that we were going to use at the company. And we decided very intelligently, actually, in hindsight, to use the Salesforce platform to execute on those projects. And I recognized, I wouldn't say almost immediately, but pretty quickly, that this was a powerful new tool that we could apply to tons and uh, tons of other use cases well, now I certainly wasn't the only person who recognized this, but the idea that you could take this thing that was very, very good for sales automation and CRM, but apply it to other things became clear to me when I was the practitioner implementing that program. And that got me involved with the groups that were 
started trying to create the idea that you could do with Salesforce almost anything in enterprise software, any business process that could be managed with this application. We could build applications around it, share those applications with other Salesforce customers and build a whole ecosystem. And so it was, for me personally, it was the kernel of that was being involved in this project and saying, wait, we can use this for order management and quoting and billing and all these kinds of things that if you look now, almost 20 years later, there's whole companies that exist that are doing this in and around the Salesforce platform. Yeah. And again, sometimes the personal pain, right, drives some of the most substantial innovations out there. It's like, why can't I do this? Or why why can't this be done in a different way or a, or a better way? Well, that's like you said, it's been a journey now that's coming up in 15, 20 years. And as you think about that, and as you think a bit about that evolution, how do you compare to what it's gotten to versus where, when you saw that vision, when you saw those ideas, do you pinch yourself sometimes and say, hey, I can't believe it's become what it is now? I am proud of what the team at Salesforce accomplished. I almost said surprise. It's not surprising, right? Because even back in 2006, 2007, you could say, hey, if we do this, 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 if we chain all of these events together and they all work, then you could have public companies building applications on the Salesforce platform and they could have thousands of users and millions of dollars in ARR and all those things could come true. And then the word I would say is two words that I'd say I would go back and encourage everybody to have if you're thinking about sort of trying to chart this course for your company is you got to be determined and you got to have patience. And I think that was the thing that was always one of the things that was very difficult to deal with at Salesforce was just these things take time to develop and they take time to build. And you have to be more patient with platform strategies than you have to be with direct, let's call it direct application strategies. But you can chain all these steps together and they're all logical and they all end up working. And so then you look at you're here, look backwards and you say, oh, it was very clear and obvious that you did that. But it takes a lot of determination and patience to see it through. I love that. And it almost echoes some stuff I say, right? In hindsight, it looks perfectly orchestrated, but you got to have a plan. There'll be some along the way, there'll be some things you'll have to fix and change and, and rethink and so on, right? But at the end of the day, it is a long game and you got to have cross the board and literally the board, I would say, board executive team, your peer group have the patience to and the perseverance to, to drive that. We talked a bit about the, the long-term, where it started and where it is now, but you also took on a different role. You took on the role of a broader role, I should say, of the head of platform, right? So you saw both the ecosystem side first and then also the product side. Talk a bit about that and kind of what that experience was like, because again, one of the things a lot of people, when they think about Salesforce, is it's become a bit of the North Star. A lot of people mm -hmm. want to replicate mm -hmm. that, duplicate that, extrapolate from the lessons learned. So I'd love to, again, I was on the sidelines watching you take that on. Just talk a bit about that part of the journey as well, just from a product and kind of how, how you shape that in that role. Yeah. So super rewarding role that I was very lucky to get and have the opportunity to, to play that part, you know, in Salesforce and in my career. I think learnings from that, you know, and I would give people the following advice or thoughts about platform is 
I think that you should be very specific about what you mean when you say platform. What is it that we're trying to do? Are we trying to create APIs that enable people to connect in and out of our application? Are we trying to create mechanisms for customers and partners to configure and customize the application? Are you trying to create a marketplace or an ecosystem where these things can be shared? Are you trying to actually facilitate third parties building businesses and business models in and with you? You know, and those things should not be, those things are all just different, but related. And I think very often this word platform gets used in so many different ways and contexts. And I think that was one of the things that was challenging, but also rewarding about the job of running the platform at Salesforce was, okay, let's be very clear about what that means. The other side of it, which I think is critically important to talk about and understand is whether or not you're talking about who is the platform for? Well, oftentimes people are building platforms now for their internal developers, and then they're extending those same capabilities to their external developers and their external partners. And just being clear about all of that for me was very, very helpful when I was doing my best, I guess, to be the, the GM of the platform at Salesforce and being clear about where our priorities were and what the deliverables were, and as much as possible, being able to channel the investment that we were making towards as many of those goals as possible. Being laser focused on one thing is great because you'll deliver it, but when you can find things that are gonna benefit that whole spectrum of business strategy, those are the things that I think really ended up paying off for Salesforce is that we could do things that benefited the applications business and at the same time benefited the internal developers and the external developers and helped us create a business model for partners. And those are the things that really paid off. Love that. So let's do a quick double click on that. I know you spend a lot of time with partners. You spend a lot of time with customers. What are a couple of examples that you look back and say, holy cow, those are pretty amazing things that as you did the roadmap and design, almost kind of like, hey, these are off the charts in terms of the wow factor of what customers or partners built. I paid a lot of attention to what was unique about the Salesforce platform, right? Because there's a lot of technology platforms out there that you can use. The choices are incredible these days. If you sit down with a development team to build something you could probably spend six months and waste all your time just deciding what stack and what approach and all these options you have. I don't think they're not obviously limitless, but they're pretty extensive now. So I spent a lot of time trying to think about what made Salesforce unique. And the thing I thought, and I still do think, that makes Salesforce unique was how configurable the applications ended up being for non-developers. So clicks, not code no code development, the ability to extend and configure an application in a way that in my opinion is still very much, very unique actually still to this day, right? Is that you can sit down with an application that's built on Salesforce and you can automate business processes, extend the model that underlies that application. And so it was those things that when we incorporated them into the platform in such a way that partners could leverage them, that we are effectively extending this Salesforce benefit, this thing that Salesforce benefited from, we were extending that to the partner ecosystem. 
talking with partners about how to do this in such a way as the application that they ended up with inherited this benefit was so critically important because that was the thing that differentiated them, you know, in the market that they existed in and gave them an advantage. That was the, I think the thing was like, what makes us unique? What is going to make the applications that are built on our platform unique and making sure that that was incorporated into the design and the approach that we took with our development and with the partner development. You already started alluding to these, but when you look back, what are some of those key success factors? So you talked about the persistence, you talked about the long-term view, but as people start thinking about this, and as you look at your lessons from Salesforce, you know, perhaps now at, at Guidewire, what are some of the things that people need to be, again, proactively thinking about and while they'll have to make some course corrections, but where do you see some of those key lessons in the time that you've spent in this? I think key lessons is so critically important is build and maintain the trust of the people that are relying on you to build and deliver this platform. It has to continue to work release after release after release. You have to be extremely careful and maybe just like make a rule that you'll never do it is don't break people's applications or right? don't violate that trust because it's so hard to uh, recover it. People to this day still talk about how companies like Twitter and Facebook changed the, did things for developers, but then changed the rules and shocked people. And it was years ago, right? It was years ago, but it's still seared into everyone's memory that that happened. And so I think if you aspire to do this, you have to make that commitment to say, the things that we put out there, we're gonna be crystal clear about how they work and how you should expect them to work going forward and live up to that. And that is really very, very, very important. That applied to Salesforce. It applies to other cloud platforms. There's a lot written about this that I think is worth reading. Certainly we aspire to that approach at Guidewire is this idea that you can trust that what you're building with our platform will continue to work going forward. And we won't sort of change the rules on you. That was, a, I think, something that Salesforce deeply understood from the beginning. The other side of it, I'll get back to it, is just patience and determination. At least at Salesforce, and I think it also at Guidewire, these things take time to develop. And you're always going to be faced with some other goal, objective that you think you can connect the dots and execute on that faster. And you're going to see the investment to pay off come in more quickly. And there's going to be people that are sort of saying, hey, let's just connect these dots and prioritize this. You need to do those things, too. But the balance of saying, you know, we have a broader, bigger picture in mind that if we give it three to five years can really have a outsized impact on the company. I think that's important. Yeah, no, completely. 100 percent agree with that. And I think most of our customers and partners there, if we went back and interviewed them, probably would agree with that too, right? That determination and that building the trust and respect. Look, we all know these things are never all perfect, right? So what's the flip side of that coin? What are some of the things that you think of as the challenges, roadblocks that, again, most, most of us who have been in this kind of role will face? And the things that, again, 
with the benefit of hindsight, you would say you might have thought about differently. I'll tell okay, so this maybe will scare everybody, okay? But you'll remember this. We used to talk about this all the time. You know, we used to say, you know, 50% of these partnerships, these 50% of these businesses are going to fail. And that is the exact opposite of the approach that you want to take with your direct business. When I talk about, I think about Guidewire, I am completely committed to 100% of our customers will be successful with the implementation of Guidewire. That's the mindset, the mantra, the attitude of everything in our company. But then when you do a platform strategy, you got to realize, and you don't actually know this when you start off, and you don't know this with each individual that you're talking to, but just the rate, the success rate is so different because it's not just the technology, it's the business model and it's the leadership and it's the market and everything else that factors into that can cause failure and does cause failure. And you have to learn to be comfortable with that or maybe always a little uncomfortable, but accepting that that's just the way it is. And so it's almost like a dichotomy is like, cause most of these, I think you have direct and indirect kind of strategies at companies. Yeah. Like those are the people I talk to a lot. You got to have this customer success, a hundred percent success attitude on one part of your mindset. And the other side of it is say, we're planting a lot of seeds here and some of them are going to be wildly successful and some of them are not. We're going to do everything we can to make them all successful, but they're just not all going to be wild success stories. And marketplaces end up, with these like 80-10, or I mean 80-20, I think sometimes it's actually 90-10, you know, where like 90% of the value is coming from 10% of the applications. And that's kind of uncomfortable to say out loud because everybody wants to be successful, but it's the reality of the way these things end up working. Being able to balance that as a leader of an organization, I think is an important thing to grapple with. I think again, and for those listening, you can probably sense an analogy to the investment world, right? It's the 10% will do great, probably 40, 50% will will do okay. And the other 50%, as Mike said, probably will, for reasons that may not be fully in their control, won't make it, right? It's absolutely right. The difference between investing is, is, at least from my experience at Guidewire and at Salesforce is, there's a bit of a disconnect maybe. It's like, here's the investment, we'll help you, but really this is the funds you need to be able to execute your... The relationship is, especially in enterprise software, it's just deeper. You know what I mean? You're involved in the sales cycles. You know the teams, you know, you're helping to guide the application development. So you're a bit more invested. And so understanding that there's just not everything's going to be wildly successful is a hard thing. It was a hard thing for me. It's just you got to be a little bit rational about it. And you got to find a way to balance the investment that you make in each one of these applications, each one of these partners such that you've got enough of a portfolio that you're going to end up delivering value to the company and to your customer, you know, to your core customer base. So Mike, one question I guess I get asked, you know, I'm advising a few companies on their platform and ecosystem strategy. And one persistent question, which I think you may have a, a pretty unique point of view on is the issue of you talked about letting a thousand flowers bloom, right? And that's, that's a kind of good philosophy in a platform company, but there's always also a bit of that element of, Hey, should I be building that? Should I build versus buy versus partner? 
How do you think about that? And that's not disclosed anything confidential, but just as a framework, how should one think about that? If you're a platform company, but you also have an application strategy, how do you think about those trade-offs? When to partner, when to build, when to maybe go acquire someone? How does that come about? My personal take of this is ask yourself what your customers would want you to do. Okay. That's the way I think about this. That's the, I think this is the, the, you know, the Jeff Bezos, Amazon kind of mantra. And I like to follow this is you're always going to be faced with these questions is, Hey, this is a great idea. This partner has, and this is on someone's roadmap that we might get to in three to five years. And so let's reserve that for ourselves in order to make sure that that benefit pays off to us. Okay. The way out of that trap is to say, if you are a customer, what would you want the company to do? Well, that, you know, you'll, you think it through. It, 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 sometimes you say, well, it's risky to take the partner approach because it really needs to work. And so that really needs to be something we need to do ourselves. That's sometimes what the customer would want. But sometimes the customer would want you to have an open platform that facilitates choice and facilitates options. Trying to put myself in the customer's perspective to make these kinds of decisions and trade-offs has always been very helpful. It's actually been really interesting because I'm CEO now here at Guidewire. When I was at Salesforce, I was always representing a certain business unit. Maybe it was platform, maybe it was applications, maybe it was a little bit of both. You know, but I wasn't the CEO. Mark Benioff was the CEO, and he was making these decisions at the company level. So it's been interesting to think about the role that I played at Salesforce, sort of fighting for platform and and pushing a certain agenda relative to the company, and now seeing that dynamic play out at Guidewire, and now I'm in a different role trying to make these decisions and balance these things. It's certainly a challenge, but the advice I would give to anybody is just it sounds simple, but it's just a really easy way to do it. It's just to say, what would my customers want me to do? And we're an enterprise software, so I think sometimes this is pretty easy. Is You can actually ask them. You can call them up and you can say, hey, we're facing this choice and we have this debate. And what do you think? And you'll get great feedback. And that's always been very helpful for me. Love that. And I think that is, again, it's a very simple framework, but I think it always works. Good customers and close customers, like you said, in the enterprise, you know them well, they'll tell you. They'll tell you without any <laughs> without any hesitation. And they appreciate being, I have found, they very often appreciate being looped into those sorts of discussions because it's out of the ordinary, right? You're not talking about a project that's a header behind or a feature that's working, or, you know, but it's a strategy question that I've always found people very interested in you know, just providing input about how companies make these sorts of decisions. Yeah. So Mike, you mentioned this is something you're passionate about. You and I both are. And I know you you study the industry quite a bit and you keep tabs on what's going on. We talked a lot about Salesforce. It's kind of the one of the early, if not the earliest cloud-focused platform. Who are the ones, who are other companies that you've seen out there that you think have taken on a strong position as well? in building this platform and ecosystem strategy that that now we might look up to and also say, hey, these are folks doing something maybe a little bit different, but also doing it well. The companies, I don't know if this sounds, I don't know, makes people laugh or not, but you know, I, I kind of always look at like, what's the next level, right, of these kinds of things. And so the companies like Uber or Airbnb, 
right, where they have legitimately created two-sided marketplaces where they basically upended industries based on, like I said, creating something out of that is the essence of this two-sided marketplace. Those are the business models, I think, that inspire me, right? That I'm in some percentage of my brain thinking about here at Guidewire. In addition to delivering great software, delivering a great cloud service, upgrading it seamless, all these things, is there something out there that's a two-sided marketplace that's inherently unlocked by something that Guidewire can do that facilitates a better industry? There's a lot of potential when you get, you know, Salesforce has a just a huge presence. Amazon, Google, Microsoft, these companies have big, big, they have a lot of footprint. And so you sort of think about what kinds of extra level, maybe like the, the ninth degree of platform business model can be unlocked with the presence and the market potential that exists in these platforms. You know, I was getting back to like, what are you really talking about with your platform? When you get to the point where you're talking business model, that's the thing I think that is the highest level of a platform. Like, and maybe the lowest level is we have an API that you can integrate with us. But when you get to say, hey, this is our unique business model, this market exists because we foster its creation, that I think is really special. It's like getting there. There's only a few companies that can get to that. But I think aspiring to that is, you know, it ought to be an important part of anybody's strategy. Because like I said, you got to have patience and determination. And so for me, it's always like that next level of people. You know, when you look at Uber, you say people move around in a different way because of this marketplace that they created. And Airbnb is another good example here. And I think there's a lot of these things. They don't have to be at that level. But there's a lot of these things at Guidewire and CRM and an ERP that you can imagine existing because of this, which I think is an interesting way to think about the next evolution of maybe cloud and SaaS. I think that's awesome. Not to put words in your mouth, but I think you're also saying a platform strategy and ecosystem strategy kind of go somewhat hand in hand, right? Depending again on what your core strategy and business model is. So that's, I think, one takeaway. Two, which I think, again, I think is, is an element of what we're seeing more and more, is understanding how do you kind of kick off that flywheel, right? How do you attach things to the core that frankly does two things, right? And I think you and I modeled a lot of this back in the day, which is the core of it, it's stickiness, right? You want to retain that customer. You want to kind of provide value to them so they have a reason to stay with you. And then as you add other things from yourself, from your partners, it continues to drive that greater value and gravity, right? And that's, that's I think, in, in my book, a definition of a great platform strategy. I completely agree with you. You know, I think I, I use two examples that are B2C, right? And the B2C marketplaces, platforms, ecosystems, whatever you want to call them, they take a huge, it's a big bet, huge amount of investment has to go into instantiating these things. And then once they're there, incredible staying power for that entity. With the B2B enterprise, you know, the enterprise applications, you sort of have to evolve into it. You know what I mean? It's basically like you have to start somewhere. You have to start with an application. You have to add platform capabilities to it. You build an ecosystem around that success. But I think the final phase of this is what other business opportunities models are you unlocking based on the presence that you have in that market? You can't start there. You know what I mean? Like starting there will get you nowhere. 
I don't think anyone will fund that. It's just the odds of success are so out of whack. But if you evolve into it, you can steadily determine in a determined way, build into that kind of model. Yeah. So you got to earn the right, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, this is awesome. I don't kid when I say you. I think one of the people in this world who kind of understands is the best. Any final thoughts as we as we wrap up our, our time here? The thing I would say is uh, I think people, oftentimes I talk to people, they, they feel like the misfit, the platform misfit in the applications company. I would say stick with it. Stick with it. It's a challenge, right? There's trade-offs involved in these kinds of business strategies and making sure that you follow through on them and getting the corporate company to sort of buy in and the board, as you say, I just think that you should stick with it because I think that ultimately the companies that we all have heard of, if you list the top companies in the world in tech, they all have a component of their strategy that's platform oriented and ecosystem oriented. And those are the memorable, lasting, durable companies. And so having that attitude helps you through the the pain and, and, and sometimes suffering that's related to getting these these strategies to success, be determined and stick it out. It very often pays off and it ends up being, I think, the major component around why these companies are so valuable. So you're saying be platform strong. Be strong. Believe in the vision. Don't give up, right? Like believe in that vision and you'll get there. Mike, as expected, fantastic insights. Thank you for joining us on the platform journeys. I think this is really the kind of insights that I think folks will benefit from. As always, great to see you. Hey, it's great to see you too. I'm very happy to help. Thanks for the invitation. It's fun stuff to talk about. Thank you, Mike. Take care. All right. Take care, Avanish. Thank you for joining us on this leg of the platform journey from Tidebark, a growth equity firm purpose-built to help companies win and scale. For more insights, subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.tidemarkcap.com slash the platform journey.